hello, and welcome to another episode of Twisted Tales with Faith. And Lisa. And we're here. Kind of. And it's cold. And since I'm dropping this episode tonight, I can say I hope everybody had a great Halloween. Absolutely. Um, I had a great Halloween. I did too. It's nice. Uh, I had a dragon onesie and it was amazing. Awesome. Uh, so I hope everyone had a fun, nice time. Um... I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, my life is just a spectacular crap show, so I don't, I, I have not kept up with any current true crime news. I couldn't tell you any current true, true crime news. Yeah, I don't true have crime, a whole yeah, lot of, not much of anything right now, yeah. like even, even mm-hmm. what we did last week when we recorded. Like, yeah. Well, I noticed that I like, no new numbers for we, anything, Well, we were, like, we were giving like statistics and Ooh, this just happened in the news. Yeah, but we're we've recorded episodes, so we're dropping those like four weeks After, later, yeah. and we look like idiots. But I am going to drop this one tonight. Okay. Um. So I can say I hope everyone had a happy Halloween, and I hope everyone is staying slightly warm. Luckily, I've still got my winter weight from the past five years, so yeah. I've you know I'm good to go. Hey, listen, man, you're gonna hibernate. Do it right. Yeah. And I am a little late on this one. I wish I. That's I'd... not good. You're pregnant. I wish no. Aww. Um. Well, now I just feel like a dick. <laughs> What's the point of my life? Um. <laughs> uh, sorry, but I wanted. Uh... I wish I'd have found this story like two weeks ago, but I didn't. But anyway, I'll tell you at the end. We'll get there. We'll get there. So. T- tonight it's Faith's turn to talk. As Yay. usual, it's always Faith's turn to talk. I always take it. I can't. I can't even like actually have a podcast. Faith has a lot of opinions. Oh, shut up! You want my opinions? You ask for my opinions. Uh, I do. Not, yeah, not thirty minutes at a time. But you know, you know definitely. that I. You know, it happens. Happens. So tonight it's my turn. All right. And I've got a story. It's real. I don't know. It's. I mean, it's it's a true crime story. So it's not like a really good story, but it's a good story. So we're gonna jump. Like good stories like, and that at the end the killer was shot in the face. Yeah, no. that's a good story to me. I wish that that happened, but it does not. So we're gonna go in the way back machine just a little bit. All right, not a lot. Okay. Um, but because it's a little bit, it's in an awkward time frame, I guess. There's not a ton of background information on anybody. Which, honestly, I'm surprised with this story. There's not more splashes of, like, holes of information. But okay. I'll explain that at the end. Um, anyway, you ready? It doesn't yes. matter. You have to listen to me anyway. <laughs> I'll stay now. So, I am just going to warn you. Every Almost everyone in this story has a legitimate given name. Like, on their birth certificate. Okay. None of them go by it. And there's no rhyme or reason of that I could just discern why. So it's like, hi, my name is Lisa, but I go by Karen. Yeah. Yeah. I just said that because that's your personality. A Karen. Oh. Oh. Yeah, well, you're an Amber. That's not, I don't know what's wrong with Ambers. Amber is the color of it. Anyway. It's not the color of your energy, friend. No, no. Ambers are whores. (laughs) I know the one. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, um, I know, I know a lot of Amber, so I'm not really with, yeah. Anyways, anyways, so, so story to be told. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about John Alexander. Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. And you say I interrupt you. Yes, yeah, my turn tonight. Yeah, okay. John Alexander Riccardi. Okay. Who goes by Dean. 
That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wanted Dean because, like, Richard, you know, Dick. I don't know. No. Dean doesn't have anything to do with Richard or Dick. Yeah, but Richard and Dick don't really go together either. But that's not his Never name. His name is John name. Alexander. I thought you said Richard. No, his last name's Ricardi. I'm retarded. <laughs> I'm recording. Anyways, um, he is an Italian born <laughs> in 1936. He was born in New York. Um, in the 70s, he moves out to South Southern California to Venice Beach, um, specifically. And that's where he's going to start his life, right? All right. He moves out there because he wants to, I guess, try to jumpstart his career, quote unquote. Um, he's an amateur bodybuilder. And in the 70s, I guess Venice Beach is where you went to oil up and pump the iron. Okay. Um, So he wants to go make it in the big time. So he goes, he moves out to Venice Beach, California, and spends all his time from every account, literally going from like gym to gym, working out, hanging out with other bodybuilders. And he's known as a super personable guy. But like, that's what he does. So that's his life. Hanging out at different gyms, hanging out with the people there. Everyone says that, like, he's basically this nice guy. Um, <laughs> however, he can turn into a pretty mean SOB, like, on a flip of a dime. Steroids. Or, you know. Italian. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, but he's, he's, he's real flashy. Everybody kind of knows him. You know, like, literally, I thought of pretty much everyone in your family. Like. All your uncles back in the day, like the grease monkeys, like because they all used to work out. Oh, so yeah. That's literally, I'm picturing specifically one uncle in my head yeah. as I'm thinking about the bodybuilder and the oil and the Italian. But, um, so if he's just They're at all crusty meatballs now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if he, if his life is just spending times in the gyms, he doesn't work in the gym, he's just working out and hanging out. And he's not at the level in bodybuilding where, like, he's going to competitions, winning prize money, getting sponsorships. So how does he live? I've always wondered that about some people. My guess is illegally. You'd be correct. Yeah. Because he is a notorious, notorious because um, he does it a lot, but no one knows, cat burglar. Okay. Obviously, no one in his life knows this, but he is a he, he burglars everything. I mean, he's got... Wet bandits. He's got sticky fingers every house he goes into. Okay. So he's a bit of a player, which, you know, Shocker. 70s, greasehead, Italian, muscle builder, uh, you know. He, he could be on the Jersey Shore. Um, and by <laughs> a bit of a player, I mean, he's known to date around a lot, multiple women at the same time who are all extremely attractive. He's always around town with a different girl. Very flashy. He's always got like tons of cash on him, oh, which yeah. he probably stole from Grandma Nani the night before when he burglared a house. Type. He, he's he's kind of a doucher. I mean, honestly, right? He sounds like a champ. Yeah, he's kind of a douche canoe, but nobody knows. He's just very personable. Right. He's one of those people that he's very personable. But if you really listen to him, you're like, there's not a single bit of truth that came out of his mouth that wouldn't quit talking. Right. But everybody in Venice Beach aren't used to Northerners up there. And so they just think he's like this nice, personable guy. They don't realize he's full of it. Yeah, Yeah. liar. So in 1980, Dean finds a woman that makes him change his his womanizing ways. Mm -hmm. And that is Constance, 
Colleen Navarro, and she goes by Connie, and she is Navarro. No, you said Navarro, but that reminds me of another Navarro. I know that you probably don't. Probably. It's Um, okay, though. And she goes by Connie, and she's like his perfect cup of tea. Ink Master? Mm. Band? Mm. Out there? No, okay. So, um, Connie was born on October 12th, 1941 in Detroit, Michigan. She had two sisters. She attended a school called Mar Ken and her final years of education, she went there for like a year. And that's legitimately the most I could find about this woman's childhood and early life. Mar Ken, where she went to school, um, was originally known as the Lawler Law or professional school, but did change its name to Markin. And from everything I read about this school, it's basically like a private school type of situation. It's a finishing school. The school, and this is from the school's website. The school focuses its attendance on business children, aka the elite, as it's located in Hollywood, California. Oh, he's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. No, this is where she this girl that changed his life. This is where she went to school. Right, but why else? Would, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like um, the school is known. Yeah, the school is known to attract children of those whose parents were in the entertainment industry. Are they themselves are already starring in movies? Are pro, like big time sports ice skater type people? Very athletes. Yeah. So while there's not a lot known about Colleen's childhood, I'm assuming she and her sisters who attended this prestigious school. Came from good stock, if you will. Right, right. So, that um, there's a blip about her and her sisters attending Markin for a year. Literally, that's all I could find. Um, however, after graduating Markin in 1960, she started her modeling career. She appeared on several episodes of The Price is Right in the early days. Um, and she literally, she was beautiful. Long blonde hair, like the whole package. Yeah, she was pictures, oh, yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. I'll show you pictures. She's very, very pretty. So, in the mid-60s, Connie's career kind of, she stopped it um, because she got married to James Ra- Raul. Um, he goes by Mike. James Raul Mike from here on out. Again, okay. don't know why. All right. And then on June 7th, 1967, they had a son together, Michael. Can I go by? Go by whoever you want. This Princess Banana Hammock? Sure. Friends reference. Sorry, Chandler Brain. <laughs> Oh, I was so sad about that. I actually what was the what was the full thing, Princess? It was a weird one. I don't know, but I'm gonna have to go back and look that up. I saw Unless it. Unless one of you guys know it, just, you know, yeah, we're gonna sidetrack for a minute. I saw that on Sunday morning when I got up to get ready for church, and I was I saw it on Facebook, and I was like, please be a hoax. Please, it was like Paul Walker all over again, and I yeah. googled it, and I was like, he's really dead. Yeah, it's <sighs> so sad, dude. It really is. I like hate that guy went and they just a lot. and they just did that big huge friends reunion, yeah. so I'm glad that he was alive for that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Consuela, Consuela, Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. Mm-hmm. That is my new name. So Connie and Mike had their son Michael. Um. They end up getting divorced in 1975 when their son was eight. <laughs> However, they co-parent really well. They remain very close friends after the okay. divorce, by all accounts. Like, Connie got an apartment right up the road. They didn't even have, like, child custody arrangements. Like, their son was allowed to come and go. Like, they still had family dinners. It's it's a very the good divorce. that it should have been, like, yes. for everyone? Yes. 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 They, they were adults about it. Um, so, five years after the divorce, 
back to quote unquote current, um, the eighties when Dean meets Connie, um, they're dating, they're having fun. And Dean is really good with her son, like really good. Her son really likes him. And that's a big deal as your first boyfriend after a divorce and a single right. mom. He's yeah. eight. This could be like, hey, you got to think about in the kid's mind, my parents are still having dinner together. We still hang out together. They could get back together. Right. And now here's this guy. Well, like at eight though, I don't know that that's like a. I think every kid. Uh, yeah, but. You know, I don't know. Mentally wise, maybe probably doesn't even 100% get. Maybe not. Out. But I have to think like in my mind, you, you kind of think like that could be a deal breaker. Yeah. As. But her boy, Dean and this kid get along so well. Um, and Dean does not live with him. He has his own apartment. But he's a frequent overnight guest at Connie's place. And since Dean starts spending more and more time there, spending the night more, um, the natural byproduct are he and Michael get closer and closer to one another. Dean, yeah, like they're really good friends. Like they're, I mean, it's a father-son type relationship. Like they're. The son loves him. He plays sports with him. He goes to, like, he supports him. Like, they're becoming, like, this little close family unit. Okay, then I just fudged that because I thought you were talking about. No, I was talking about the boyfriend. No, okay. Oh, so yeah, no, the no. The dad's Michael, though. So the dad said the wrong name. Yes. So, d- Mike is the, what the dad goes by. Michael's the son. Michael's, okay. There you go. You. Sorry. Sorry. All right. That was... Catch back up. You have a small brain. I understand. <laughs> So, um, you have small eyes and it's weird. I do. So, um, after about two years of this relationship going amazingly, unfortunately it's, it's two years in, you start to have the bumps. Right. And it's that they're that stereotypical couple that fight. They're going to take a break. They get back together, wash, rinse, repeat. Okay. goes really good. Then we're going to start bickering. Then we're going to take a break. Then we're back together and love each other and over and over and over. Until January 1983, a year later, when Connie's just tired, she's she's smoking hot. She doesn't have to deal with this, Jamo. No. So she just we're decides. We're going Italian. It's a brony. <laughs> whatever. There you go. She's going to end things with Dean for good. And she tells him, it's over. This time it's for real. I'd really like to stay friends with you. You know that how that conversation goes. Yeah. And honestly, if you look at her and her ex-husband, they're still really close. So she has the possibility to be a mature adult about this. So shortly after things, shortly after this conversation, things start to go awry, if you will. Yeah. Just get a little hinky. Um, Connie breaks up with him for good. And shortly after this breakup, Connie goes and has dinner with a man named George Hoffner. He is an executive with an ad agency and they are going to dinner for a job interview because she is a model and she is still beautiful and he wants to hire her. That's what this is. So they meet in public. So not a date. No, no, it is not a date. The man has a wedding ring on. So they go, they sit down, they do the job interview, talk about the agency, her life, you know, the the, the sitch. Um, goes really well, and it's early 80s. So after dinner, what is George going to do? Because he's a gentleman. Take her home. Walk her to her car. Okay. Or that, but yes. So he walks her to her car. He They shake hands, which I've never done at the end of a date. He gives her one of the, like, you know, Hollywood kisses on the cheek, like the air kisses, you know, yeah. like. 
just a peck. It's he. It was not a passionate. There was no and groping. Honestly, that's kind of like an Italian thing too. It's like yeah. you know, mwah, mwah on each cheek and that's yeah. It. So like, George, you know, thanks for the interview. We're gonna be in touch. Kiss, kiss, bye, bye. She gets in her car. She goes home. He gets in his car and he goes to his hotel. So the next day, George is still in California. He's in his hotel room. He's you know he's winding down, getting ready to go back home to Connecticut, and his hotel phone rings. So on the phone, an unidentified man who never gives his name is on the other line when George answers. George says that he has a very thick, heavy New York accent, and he states that he's Connie's boyfriend. And this man is livid. He's yelling at George. He's cussing him out. He wants to know why George is effing kissing his woman. George is literally stunned. Like, He's like, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. Um, there's nothing romantic. Who's your girlfriend again? Connie. Connie's my girlfriend. Why are you hitting on her? Why do you have your hands on my woman? Just cussing them out. Crazy. And George is like, you know, I just, that's not what's, that's not what's going on. This guy continues to yell. And um, the guy on the other end finally tells George, if you don't stop seeing Connie, you know what's going to happen? What? I'm going to break her knees. What? Yeah, no, her knees. He's not going to hurt George. He's, He's going to hurt Connie. Yeah, yeah, his girlfriend. So George at this point is like, <laughs> I'm sure crazy town banana pants. But he, he's like, listen, buddy, there's literally no romantic relationship between myself and Connie. It was a job interview. I wanted to hire her for my agency. I'm a happily married man. Have a ring on. I have no interest in anyone else. I've never had an affair on my wife. Literally. What got to do with Fine. it? Fine. I want to take her picture. So the man gives George one final warning. Don't ever, don't, don't, don't hit on my woman. And he's like, George is like, seriously, nothing. It was a job interview. Like I'm married. The guy's like, all right. So the phone calls over. And I just imagine, (coughs) excuse me. I couldn't find a picture of George, but in my head, I'm imagining like this little nerdy guy. I don't know, man. I mean, I understand People that he's that, an, like, you know, he's an at, he, he works. If he's well to do, he's not going to present himself as nerdy. Even but you know what I mean? Like, I don't, nerd, you know, I don't imagine him as a big guy. Like right. I imagine him as like Ward well, Cleaver. Sure he's not like freaking, you know, steroid yeah. monster. But just like a nice or... guy back in the day, like, yeah. you know, suit, like. He's no veto. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that after this call, he went down to get a stiff drink and be like, what? What? What just happened? So the next day, George is still at his hotel room um, because he's leaving the day after to go back home. And his hotel phone rings again. And you know he's just sitting on the bed looking at like, she's not not worth this. (laughs) Is it room service? He picks up and unfortunately, it's literally the same guy from the night before. This time, the angry uh, New York man gives, says, you know what? Here's the deal. Here's your travel plans for the next few days. You're getting on this plane, buy this rental car. You're going on this bus. You're making this stop at this time. Like gives him his entire his entire itinerary. itinerary. Yeah. Then he's like, and then you're gonna when you're finally done, you're gonna be in Connecticut, going back home to this address to your wife's name. Let's say Betty. So what if I take a little trip to Connecticut and meet up with your wife myself? How are you gonna like that? Okay. George is like, here's the deal, man. It was just a job interview. I understand you know where I live because that's what the guy's doing. I know where you live. I know where you're going. I know everything about you and I can do anything you want. He's like, I, I, again, it was a kiss on the cheek. It is a social norm. 
It's the same as me kissing my mother. It literally meant nothing. I'm leaving the next day, as you know. You have all my itinerary. Yep. I'll never talk to her again. Like, I'm done. I won't even hire her. Like, yeah. I'm done. So George um, believes all this information. Because the guy literally knew everything. His home address, his his phone number, where he worked, his wife saying, like, he knew every everything. Okay. When George goes out to his rental car, it has been broken into, it appears. Nothing's stolen, but everything's kind of shuffled around. And so he thinks someone got in there and that's how all his travel plans are in there, yada, yada. So George leaves and goes back home to Connecticut safely. Once there, however, he calls Connie and he's like, hey, I've got to tell you about these two phone calls. Right. Which, you know, good for him for letting her know. I think it's a little cowardly to wait till he's out of the state and she's by herself. Yeah. But if I had some guy saying this is where you, your wife and your kids sleep at night, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah, you're literally like the few for the many. That's I got like the biggest yeah. debate ever. I got to go pack up and move. Yeah. Peace. So moving forward, February 1982, um, Dean heads out to New York for a few weeks. In this time span, because all the, the phone call to George, the breakup, everything happened January 1982. So between that and February 1982, one month, it stated that Dean sees Connie over 15 times. You what? Sees Connie. Okay, sees her. Okay. They're not planned meetings. Basically, they run into each other accidentally. But in reality, Dean... He's a stalker. He's not ready to call this relationship. And yeah, that's a, that's a put. If you really want to get honest, he's stalking her. And... I know that stalking is a big accusation, but I want to give you a few facts of what happened these few days. So a friend of Connie, Marilyn Young, says that in mid to late January 1983, Dean broke into Connie's apartment and forced her to sleep with him. Connie told her about this after the fact. Now, Marilyn never... Forced as in, like, pretty much raped her? Well, it's not super clear (laughs) if Dean raped her during the night. What Connie told Marilyn is that Dean got in bed with her and forced her to cuddle all night long, would not let her get out of bed under any circumstance, like just forced her to cuddle all night. In my opinion, he probably did rape her, or if not, at least forced physical contact that was unwanted on her. And you got to think it's- That's almost like kidnapping at that point. Yeah, but it's it's the mid 80s. She has no, I mean, they don't give a crap if, you know what I mean? Like we barely have- me too just happened. Yeah, I know. So she was probably ashamed. Her kid's in the other room. She's not going to go tell everybody this crazy man came in and raped her. Like, they're trying to keep it PC for her reputation. Plus, she's a model. Hmm. We don't want, you know, th- th- again, spe- pure speculation. Right, like damaged goods. But right. we know that he did break into her apartment while she slept, got into bed with her, and would not let her out. Forced physical, like, contact. Like, at least up to cuddling. So we know that happened in January. Um, again, that was mid to late January. Towards the end of January, uh, Connie tries to, she was out somewhere, gets in her car, and she's having car trouble. Her vehicle will not start out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, there's Dean. But he's he's not there to be her knight in shining armor. He's not there to save her. Like, it's not a meet cute. He um, actually has the boss to tell Connie, yeah, I know your car won't stop start because I'm the one that sat there and jerked the wires out. I know it won't start. Basically, I can get to you, and I'm watching, and you'll never know when I've been there. Stalker. And just leaves. 
So another set of friends of Connie's named Carl and Jeanette Rathmotion. That's butchered, I'm sure. Carl and Jeanette. Um, they're actually yeah. her neighbors, and they say that Connie was absolutely terrified of Dean. Um, at starting at the beginning of 1982, and she was upset, but she didn't want to antagonize him. Right. Um, she tried to be friendly and just kind of gently push him aside. She doesn't want him to go crazy. I mean, he's already breaking in in the middle of the night, right? So these I mean, are she's got to be fear on another level. Honest to God, especially okay. I'm not even going to say especially back in the 80s because even nowadays stalking is not like, uh, well, where's your proof? He didn't really do well, anything. Like, he didn't really blah, blah, blah. But but there, he's literally mind-effing you. Yeah, but on top of that, stalking didn't become a crime until 1996 in the United States. That's so it's that. not even a crime right now. Yeah. And, but then. to even be able to get like a, oh, yeah. any They have to physically assault you. Yeah, they, yeah something's And no happened. one in the 80s is going to come say that they were, you know. Like, you just, you didn't say that. No. So I can't even imagine the emotional and oh. mental terror. And your kid's there. Yeah. Your kid's there. Yeah. So she's terrified. Um, She's literally just trying to de-escalate and keep him calm. And so Connie asks Carl and Janet, again, they're her neighbors, can you just keep an eye on my condo Um, when you're at home? So she asks her neighbors, hey, can you just keep an eye on the condo? She feels like she's being followed. She's pretty sure it's Dean. Um, she's almost positive he's getting into her apartment when she's not there. And she's she's just worried. Can you please just watch watch it when I'm not there? Carl, her neighbor, is actually a really good guy and confronts Dean. And he's like, you need a man up and just leave her alone. She doesn't want to be with you. She's requested you go away. You need to find someone new, respect her decision, and just go. So Carl got balls. Carl's the only one that, like, you know, cared, in my opinion. Well, that's not fair. Carl's the only one that, he didn't care. If, at this point, I think that Carl sees that this isn't going to get de-escalated, where everyone else was like, we need to, obviously, there's crazy. Yeah. So, and when you're dealing with crazy, you never know how that fruit's going to fly. Right. Carl didn't care. Because I think Carl knew this isn't going to end well one way or the other. So I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. And I'll, I will feel good about it at the end. I'm not. I've, it's unfair for me to say no one else cared because that's not true. Right. Anyway. So January 31st, 1983. We're still in the same month. All these things. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Connie, she's terrified. She changes all the locks in her apartment to try to keep Dean out. She figures he's got a key still. That's how he's getting in and out. Um, and she literally, it's documented in her day planner. Uh, early February 1983, she agrees to meet Dean, and they're going to discuss what's what their quote-unquote relationship, right? Um, again, she's trying to take the friendly adult approach. She's trying not to antagonize him. So she but tells he's already like off his rocker. So yeah. really, we're not going to make so, any problems. Yeah. Here. So she says, "Let's meet for dinner in a public place because she's not an idiot." And in her mind, if, you know, they're at a public place in a restaurant, he can't really, you know, go full on psycho. So she agrees to meet him there. Her friend Marilyn Young from earlier is supposed to pick her up after this meeting. So she's not going to be alone in a car for him to, you know, all every base is covered here. Right. The, they sit down. They have dinner. They have a nice heart to heart talk. It's honestly, it went really well. Dean listened. Okay. He heard her words. Maybe Carl helped. Who knows? So. Connie and Dean walk out. He's going to walk her to Marilyn's um, car. 
Marilyn's not there yet. She's on her way just, you know, up the street. And um, unfortunately, while they're outside waiting, Dean pulls a gun on Connie and tells her, you're not going anywhere, but instead you're going to get in this car with me and we're going to go away for the weekend. What? Yeah. So Connie's terrified, um, but doesn't, I mean, what's she going to do? He's, he's got a gun and it's, it's in her ribs, right. so to speak. So she agrees to go away with him. What do you do? Okay. So just like me being me, like I heard somewhere, like never leave point A. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, yeah. Because once you leave, like you don't know how much worse it's going to get. Mm-hmm. For me, if you pulled a gun on me to try to force me to go somewhere with him. Mm-hmm. At that point, I would rather yeah, but and take my chances because at this point, like no, he's invaded my life. Mm-hmm. He has invaded. But if he shoots, you're leaving your son without a mom. I understand that. It's a hard call. No, honest, like honestly, yeah. His obsession's not with my son. His obsession's with me. Yeah. And so if I, I already know that his dad's a good dad. Yeah, great dad. Still good friends with him. So for me, I think I fight like hell. And whatever happens, happens. Well, Connie didn't feel like she had that choice. She feels like... Again, that's let's, personal yeah, no, opinion. And agreed. Again, we've had this conversation a hundred times. I could say, that's what I would do. Yeah, blah, blah. But... be told, unless I'm in that situation, no I don't knows. know. And she... Connie is able to... To get D, into Dean's head, I guess. Because he wants to whisk her away to this, like, out-of-the-city romantic getaway. At gunpoint. Um, At gunpoint, yeah. exactly. Connie is able to talk him into, hey, let's just get a hotel room in the city. Let's not leave LA. Let's just stay here. Let's get a nice hotel room. It just make me feel better not to leave um, my son. Let's just stay, right? Trying to play to that. Mm-hmm. And also, she thinks if they're in a hotel room, there's going to be other people in the other room, so he can't really do anything, right? People um, don't get murdered in hotel rooms all the time. Right. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that you're in a in a state that mm-hmm. people don't report things mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Especially in that era because, hello, <laughs> you're, you're sitting here, you're talking about like this Italian Guido, right? Yeah. People people shut up in towns like that, people. <laughs> like, well, also, um, he made like, I mean, it, oh, he... <laughs> He, uh, struggle much? I know. I'm sitting there it's looking for right. it. It's all right. He alluded several times that, like, he had mob ties. Like, he was just a big talker. I didn't give much credence to it because the guy's a liar. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's just a yeah. jackass. Like, so she plays into this, like, we're going to have a romantic weekend. Let's get a hotel. They go. So before you keep going real mm-hmm. fast, okay? I'm, I'm really confused because when we started talking about good old Dini, he was a player. Yeah. And literally proved to the world he could have pretty much any girl he wanted, including Connie the model. Right? The one that gets away, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't know why what he trips that wire. I don't know. That's my thing. He everybody said he's with all these beautiful women. Yeah. So what makes you just fixate? Because he was fixated on her. That's what I'm saying. Like that's the weirdest part to all of this mm-hmm. for me. It's like. You see, you're talking about this guy. Not only is he jacked, right? Yeah. Which is like... A good-looking guy. Yeah. Popular, always got money that he stole the night before. Right. Regardless, most people probably don't know that, but... Yeah, they don't. Nobody knows that. I'm sitting here, I'm like, like, the guy's got the world by the balls right now. You can't, you can't... How many times have you... On a silver platter. I just bit my lip. What in the world could trip a wire with one human being to say, 
I'm com- I'm totally and a hundred percent completely obsessed with you. Uh, and no matter how shitty our relationship gets, I have to be with you and no one else. It's how many times have we said you can't make sense of crazy? I know you can't make sense of crazy because I, I thought I try. I I'm only, like over here and I'm sitting here. I started like this going down that rabbit hole and I was like, I can't, I can't because I can't. So um, they go to this this little hotel room in L.A. And he acts like this is literally like it's a romantic weekend. Um, he lets her call her friends and her family. And her. yeah, like nice. he doesn't even like he's he doesn't even say you can't call anybody. You're just like everything's normal. This is a normal weekend. So she calls so like at this point. It's almost like he's broke. Like he mentally is just broke. The rubber bands have stretched too tightly, yes. Yeah, because now he just thinks we're on a romantic getaway, even though I forced her here at gunpoint. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Go. So she calls her friends. She calls her family. And she doesn't make a big deal out of it. Because, again, they're in a hotel room. He can hear her. Um, And she's like, I'm spending the weekend with Dean at a hotel. We're having a nice weekend together. And she doesn't outright say, um, he's kidnapped me. She doesn't say call the police, but everyone that she called all say she did sound very nervous. Why none of them called the police knowing everything that's been going on and that she's literally afraid of this guy? I don't understand. You know, I feel like that's got to be a very difficult situation for friends and family to be put in because how many times have they broken up and gotten back together? Yes. And then and that was what yeah, I was okay, only we know, thing. We know he's being a little bit pushy. Right? And she was just maybe being a little and dramatic much, when right. she said he's following her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. That's man. That's a tough one. It is. You know, we need code words. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Man, this place is really orange. It can't be something that obvious. <laughs> no, I know. They don't I sell tartar here. Yeah. They don't sell tartar here. Yeah. So at the end of this weekend. <laughs> Dean doesn't say keep your mouth shut. You can't go home. Like, he literally just drops her off at her house. Like, they had a nice weekend. And he's treating it like this was a planned event. That he didn't force her at gunpoint to this weekend. Well, like, okay. Can you not? The the hamster quit even running on that, the wheel. At, at this point, though, honest to God. I thought, even in the 80s, when it comes to, like, psychology, psychiatric stuff, you could call on someone have him detained i don't know and it's gonna be that's gotta be some kind but the deal is is he's a (laughs) he's a personal guy everybody says he's personal he's well liked he's popular he's well spoken he gets along with it it's just these red flags Hmm. so her friends her close friends and her ex-husband all agree that this this she was kidnapped 100 percent. at the end of this weekend they're like you (laughs) he kidnapped you at gunpoint And even though he let you call your friends and let you go home, he still kidnapped you. Yeah, he's displaying this odd sense of control knowing yeah. there's not going to be a consequence or retaliation. Yeah, so... Even if there was or wasn't, I don't think in that point yeah. in time he And all he this, was. all this is within like a few weeks span. This isn't even a whole month apart. So... For the following two months, Dean continues to make appearances randomly in Connie's life. She'd be out for dinner with friends, and Dean just happened to be at that restaurant. Which you could label as a coincidence, right? You could. You know, if only it was, like, in the, like, late 2020s, mm-hmm. 22, 23, you could have just gone on, like, www.hitman.com. Uh, and, yeah, right. <laughs> and right? care of this. 
So you could label the restaurant as a coincidence, but there's another time in the same week span. She's at dinner at Mike's house with her son, her ex-husband. Right. They're having a family dinner. And Dean just shows up at the house, lets himself in, and sits at the table. And, like, he was invited. Yeah. Like, they're all still friends. That's not normal. That's not a coincidence. I'm sorry, dude, but even in the 80s in New York, if somebody just walks into your house, you have permission. Well, you know everybody. fire. And this is after Mike has already said he kidnapped you, babe. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I just feel like (laughs) at that point, Mike should have been like, hey, guy, do you want to live? Because you can leave now. So throughout all these appearances and everything else, Connie is also getting multiple phone calls at all times of the day and night. She'd pick up and either no one spoke on the other end or they'd hang up. And she's not stupid. She knows it's Dean. There are multiple times when Connie and Marilyn, her friend Marilyn Young, would go to the gym to work out together. And Dean would follow them there. But it's not like a coincidence of like, oh, I'm at the gym. He would literally stand outside of the gym in front of a glass window and stare at Connie while she's working out. Like, uber creepy, not normal. This is no one, this is no longer meet cutes. This is your your past stalker into right. like, mm-hmm, you're like, that guy. You're, you're psychotic. He's just standing at He's the gone. side, staring He's at her working gone. out. Yeah. Yeah. Dean also started calling. Yeah, again, even in the 80s. Mm-hmm. If she were to call and be like, um... You can't tell me the cops wouldn't be like, yeah, that's... Stalking is not illegal at this point, though. There is no such thing as stalking right now. Right. Again, he... It's the 80s? He's basically breaking and entering when he walked into the house. But she can't prove it. She just thinks he's been breaking in. No, no, no. no, I'm talking about when he showed up to dinner. No. But, yes, yes, weird. But that's not her house. Doesn't matter. He and Mike were friends. Hello. I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. All right, whatever. So Dean would also call Marilyn Young, Connie's friend, like midnight, start ringing her up and wants to know about Connie. What's she doing? How's she, how's she feeling? Did she talk about me? Like literally just getting weirder and more unhinged. Yeah, now we're in like middle school, check yes or no. Yeah. Like, so no. at Connie gets to the point where she's legitimately so scared she will not leave her house or go anywhere unless she has a friend to meet her and go with her. She's not going to get caught by him alone anymore. She gets an alarm system installed in her house. Um, she is trying to keep her and her son safe because, again, she she knows. You cannot convince her he's not getting into her house. So the alarm system installed, she won't go anywhere alone. She has an escort at all times. He's not catching her. Like, she's taking every precaution. She really is. Right. So February of 1983, um, Connie invites Dean to a restaurant. To have dinner with herself, Marilyn Young, and Marilyn's boyfriend. And they basically have decided they're going to sit him down at dinner and have an intervention regarding his behavior. Um, just to get, like, get it through your head. This isn't, you've gone too far. Okay. So Connie and Marilyn both separately say, you just got to go, bud. Like, Connie's done. Connie does not want to be in this relationship. She's not going to take you back. She wants you to leave her alone. Connie's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, we're, we've not been in a relationship for over a year. We're done. I need you to stop. I need you to stop being there. Basically. Like they're, they're trying to take this direct, this direct approach. Nothing else has worked. Being friends, being all that, nothing has worked. So they're literally just trying to get it through his head. They're trying to take an adult approach. Yeah. I'm going to be again, real. Mm Mm-hmm. 
after after going through everything that she's been through, her friends knowing everything that she's been mm -hmm. through, like how could you possibly think he's going to take that? I have no idea. And be like, look, right, they're not applying they're not applying crazy filter. They're thinking this is how adults handle situations, so right. this is what we're going to do. But nothing about the situation has been normal no. to this point. No. How many people is this woman? She got divorced. Yeah. And it didn't turn out like this. Yeah. And this is not victim shaming mm -mm. at all. I'm talking about no. human beings seeing the red flag and saying, mm. I probably shouldn't put myself in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, um, Marilyn says that during this whole dinner intervention talk, Dean was super creepy about the whole situation. Like what at the end, surprise. he responds with, yeah, I'll leave her alone. I'm done. I'll, I'll leave you alone. That's fine. But has this like weird angry smirk on his face the whole time basically like he's plotting something yeah like hey <laughs> i'll leave yeah. you alone for the rest of your life because i'm gonna slit your throat and yep. kill myself basically right? that's that's what it sounds like to me yeah so after the, the intervention surprisingly nothing changes um one morning connie is having breakfast with her friend sue jory and craig spencer which is i guess just two friends and they're at this restaurant little bistro whatever picture in your mind they're having they're having breakfast and dean walks up to the table and sits down with them like again like it's a planned meeting they say that dean doesn't say a single word not a hi not a good morning just sits across from connie and stares at her for three to four minutes complete silence at the table just staring all of the, they're all super creeped out they the entire situation's weird the craig spencer guy he's never even met dean before okay. like he doesn't even know who this guy is I mean, he knows the situation because his friends have talked about it, but he doesn't really want to set him off by, like, bowing up to him. Plus, again, Dean's a big guy. He's, like, 6'2". He's big, huge muscle head, big yeah. gym rat. So Craig finds... I wonder, too, like, how much of that is, like, I know all about this guy, and there's something unsettling about Yeah, this. I, I 100%. Like, you know what that's I mean? what like, he's... Any normal guy is going to be, like... Like, literally, nobody talks, they said, for a solid three or four minutes. As he just sits there and stares at her. So Craig is like, we're going to try to treat this normal. Let's act like this is normal. Yeah. It's not crazy. And introduces himself. He's like, hey, man, I'm Craig. Nice to meet you. And Craig says that Dean reaches up to shake his hand. Doesn't say a word and never takes his eyes off Connie. Just shakes his hand. Like, nice to meet you, but literally continues to stare at Connie. Then, without saying a word. Dean gets up, stands up, points at Connie, like makes a gun with his hand and um, points at her and and does like he's shooting the gun at her head. Okay. And walks out. It's just these, all these weird, like that's not danger, danger. <laughs> yeah. And that's not normal. And at this point with everything that she's been through. Yeah. Right there in and of itself. Is a threat. That's a threat. So late in February, Connie is at home. At her We're condo. Still in February. Oh, yeah. No, this is all. Holy yeah. balls. All right. So, in late February, Connie's at home and she's got this off in her bedroom. She's got this little balcony. And, you know, do you remember my old apartment? Those really crappy sliding glass doors oh, that yeah. you got to like lift up to get to latch and all that crap. Yeah. Just, you know. So, she's at her sliding glass door and the door is stuck. She can't get it open. So, she goes to her neighbor, Carl, the one we like. And she's like, hey, I can't get my glass door open in my bedroom to the balcony. Can you just come take a look at it for me? 
And he's like, yeah, sure. So Carl goes, he looks at the door, and he notices that the locking mechanism has been damaged. Carl, Carl's got to be a, <clears throat> a, a pretty, either very, very ballsy or beefy guy. Or it's just, she's a lady and she needs help. Well, no, he's the one that confronted him. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But you don't have to be a big guy to see somebody in trouble and stand up for him. That's not totally true. It's, no, you can... You can get pounded into the sand. Exactly. But you just don't care because you see someone that needs help. All right, all right. I still want to see what Carl looked like. I would too. So he takes the door, um, he sees the logging mechanism is damaged. He takes the door off the like the hinges or whatever, and basically sees that this locking mechanism has been sawed in half, rendering it ineffective. Yeah. He tells Connie, worse than that, the only way that this specific locking mechanism could have been damaged is from sawing it inside the house. So Carl's a good guy and he goes and gets the parts. He fixes the door, replaces the little latchy thing. So the door will work and lock properly. Right. Right. At this point. So it's, it's at this point in time where Connie's done. She's tried everything possible to make this situation go away in a nice, respectable adult manner. Yeah. To try to convince them to move on. They can still be friends. They can be in each other's life. But she's had enough and she's scared. And she doesn't want to go to the police because they're not going to do anything. There's no laws against what he's doing. So she sits down and writes Dean an honest letter. And in this letter, this is what she states. These are her words. I'm so sorry that you're so angry and feel this need for vengeance and punishment. You are accomplishing your goal. I feel like the walking dead person going through the motions of life, like a small animal, like a small wild animal, knowing that it is surrounded by a pack of hungry wolves. The smallest sounder movements make me jump. The sounds of the phone ringing is now frightening and it's just going to be another hang up. I'm locked in my house, afraid of every sound the walls have probably always made. I walk out of my house, a coffee shop, the gym, looking around utter terror until I get into my car and I lock the doors and I can breathe again until I have to get back out and it starts all over again. How long will this go on? That's her like, basically, please, I'm miserable. You've won. Let's all just, I'm sorry. So, and again, side note, that's when I put side note, I looked it up. Stalking laws didn't take a place till 1996. She has no legal recourse here. So the last week of February, 1983, so I haven't moved past this time frame. Um, Dean breaks into the condo in the middle of the day. Middle of the day. Her son is supposed to be at school, but he has stayed home that day sick. Dean does not know this. So how he was eight. Um, he's older this time because they started dating when he was when he was eight. Okay. When he was eight, so he's a little older now. So I think he's around fourteen, fifteen right now. Okay. So the kid's homesick. Um, Connie left that morning a little while ago to go for her morning, early morning jog, which I'm sure Dean has down to like exactly when the she exact leaves science and, didn't, anticipate a kid being and didn't know that her son would be there. Yep. So the kid's laying on the couch, wherever he is, and he hears someone trying to break into the sliding glass door in his mom's bedroom. And he can't, he catches a glimpse of Dean outside on the balcony, trying to take the glass door off the track. Right. So the kid gets up. He runs into the bathroom, gets in the shower, pulls the shower curtain very quietly, and he's just going to hide there because he's sick and he's scared and he doesn't know what to do. So 
the boy hears Dean get into the house. And then all of a sudden, Dean is in the bathroom and there's a shower curtain separating them. Through the crack in the shower curtain, he sees as Dean puts a gun on the ground. And then here's Dean pick up the gun, start heading back down the stairs. And he starts going through Connie's voicemails, like listening to her answering machine. Okay. Like listening to her conversations. And I forgot about it. One of the stories I read is like, remember when people used to call your house and like, they'd be like, hey, pick up. It's it's Karen. And then right, you, and it, and it records. Recording. So he's listening to all her recordings, listening to her messages, who she's talking to. So the kid is in the bathroom, literally just listening to this, trying to figure out what to do. So the kid, I mean, honestly, I'll give it to him. The mom talked, talked Dean out of taking her out of town that time. And the kid has got his mother's brains. So he, instead of being like, what the hell? He leaves the bathroom quietly and gets out into the hallway. And he's like, Dean, mom, are any of you guys here? I think I hear someone breaking into the, trying to break into the house. Oh, Like Dean's supposed to be there. Yeah. Because they were close. Yeah. And since they did have that good relationship, Dean goes up and it's like, oh, buddy, let me check for you. Where did you hear somebody? And the kid literally is just planning to, he's like, I think I heard someone in mom's bedroom. Can you just check? I'm I'm kind of worried. I'm sick. I might be hearing, but I'm telling you, I think I heard it. So Dean goes in and he checks the door and he's like, look, buddy, everything's fine. Nobody's broken in. You're safe. Damn, kid. You're the break-in guy. But no, everything's safe. So, no, that and, kid's a friggin' genius. And the kid is like, just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You're the best. You're my hero. I was so worried. I know you have a gun. Did you know what I mean? Like, played yeah. right into it. Yeah. So Dean sits on the bed, like his mom's bed, and and he just tells the boy, you know, I'm, I'm just here because I'm really upset. Your mom doesn't want to be with me anymore, and it's made me depressed, and I don't understand why she doesn't want to be with me anymore. Then this full-grown ass man looks at this 15-year-old boy and says, you know what? I'm going to be truthful with you. I'm going to kill myself today. That's my plan. I'm too depressed. Your mom doesn't love me. I'm going to kill myself. I just want to talk to her one last time before I blow my brains out. Because that's fair to put that on a 15-year-old kid who's sick, who had a great relationship with you. And I'm going to make you shoulder this, that I'm going to do this, right? Yeah, not before he takes out mom. So at this point, Dean pulls the gun out of like the back of his pants or whatever and points it at the boy. And so then Dean automatically starts apologizing. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have pointed the gun at you. I didn't even think about it. I would never hurt you. I'm sorry. And then he reaches out and what do you know? Dean's got a pair of handcuffs, handcuffs the kid. Puts him in the bathroom and locks him in the bathroom and says, I'm going to go deal with your mom. So here's this sick kid locked in a bathroom in handcuffs, knowing that there's a crazy person in his house with a gun and wants wants to talk to to his mom. And the kid sits there like that for 30 minutes in dead silence until he hears his mom get there. And then he hears those two start arguing. Dean's yelling, asking all these questions, and her mom just keeps saying, where's my son? Where's my son? Where is he at? He was here. He's sick. Where's my... That's all his mom keeps asking. Because she is legitimately a great mom. He's a nutbag, so he doesn't care. And she's asking this over and over. The boy just keeps listening for 20 minutes as these two yell at each other. He also hears a very audible slap. One of them slapped the other one. I don't know if it was the mom slapping saying, where's my kid? Because that's what I'd have done. But then all of a sudden, there's Dean back in the bathroom. 
sobbing. She doesn't love me. He uncuffs the boy and he's like, please don't tell your mom about this. And just leaves. And at this point, the kid's afraid, honestly. And he, I'm so confused. I know. The kid doesn't want this situation to be any worse, so he keeps his mouth shut about the handcuff situation and all that. The gun oh my God. doesn't say anything. February 25th, we're still in February, Connie decides she needs a break. She's going to leave for the weekend because she's scared and her nerves are shot and she just needs a break. So a friend of hers um, that made it a little bit worse, his name's Donnie Clapp, he called Connie and said, here's the deal. I've read Dean's horoscope, his astrological signs, the map of the stars, whatever. Right. And um, they turned over some cards. They say that Dean is going to be in a rage and will erupt by the end of the weekend. You got to get out. And she's like, that's all I need. I'm gone. At this point, I can't. So she doesn't feel, she goes to this weekend to avoid everything. And when she comes back, she honestly, she doesn't feel safe in her own home anymore. Right. So she, right. So she and her friend Marilyn go out of town for the weekend. Dean calls right before she leaves. Where are you going? What's your plans tonight? Where are you going to be? She doesn't tell him anything. Marilyn gets there to pick up Connie, and Dean is just standing outside of her house staring at them. She gets Connie in the car, packs up the bags, and Marilyn says that when her and Connie drive away, that Dean, like, runs in his car and just starts following them around, like, following them in the car till he finally gives up and goes away. Connie has her weekend with a girl, comes back, and she's like, you know what? I'm not safe here. My kid's not safe here. Right. So we're going to do the best thing possible. She calls her ex-husband, Mike, and can we just come stay with you for a while? Absolutely. Oh, no. So they go home. Um, Connie and her son go home, and they pack up clothes for to go stay with her ex-husband. And when she gets home, because it's the first time she's been home since she's been gone all weekend, she realized her alarm system has been disabled. There's no alarm system anymore. And it actually comes out later that while Connie and her son are packing up clothes to go stay with her ex-husband, Dean is in the house in the closet watching them the entire time. Oh, my God. March 1st, 1983. um, Connie and Dave are still with Mike. Just been a couple days. And there is a recorded conversation from a voicemail where she picked up afterwards, like we were talking about. And um, it's between Connie and another woman. You don't... we don't really know who, but Connie's asking how, what are the steps and how do I get a restraining order? Like that, she's asking this lady. Later that day, Connie goes to a meeting with an attorney who her ex-husband, Mike, recommended and set up a meeting to go discuss setting this restraining order in place for Dean. March 2nd, Connie, Marilyn, and Sid Young, who is Marilyn's ex-husband, who are, they're still apparently really good friends as well, um, are all eating breakfast together at a restaurant when guess who pops in? I'm going to go with. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he gets Connie, somehow convinces her to go sit at this separate table that's empty, like right there, but next to, you know, Marilyn and Sid. And um, so Marilyn is able to hear bits and pieces of this conversation. And she says she can hear Connie like yell whispering at him um, for breaking in and messing up her alarm system. And he, Openly admits that, yeah, it was him. He did it. She can hear Dean admitting to taking something from her apartment and admit says that it's a letter you wrote me. Here, I've got it right here in my pocket. Pulls out this letter she never sent him. Um, And then Dean also tells Connie, there are no locks that can keep me out of anywhere. 
And I can hurt you at any time I want to, but I haven't because I love you. But I could literally hurt you right here in this restaurant and no one would stop me or do anything about it. But, oh yeah, Marilyn, like, he's, yeah, he's lost the plot. Uh. So, um, but then he takes a turn and he says, you know, I really wish you had actually sent me this letter when you wrote it. Because I didn't think you cared about me at all. And when I read this letter, I realized you do care. And I've affected you. And I care about you, so I'm going to leave you alone now. You can go home. You can live your life. And I don't have to be a part of it, and I'm not going to be a part of it. So it sounds good on paper. Right. But Marilyn says that he just looks, like, scary bad. Like, he looks like he's been on a bender and hasn't slept for days. Right. She actually went so far as to say, do you need me to drive you to the hospital? Do you need help? Really? Like, she, okay. he looks bad, Marilyn says. I mean, I think that's another, like, super, mm-hmm. super red flag. Mm-hmm. So, Dean leaves, tells Connie, go about your life. Go with God, as you will. You're safe. And, you know, Connie decides. He's he's being honest. He's being truthful. I'm safe. It's all over. <sighs> So she goes back to her ex-husband Mike's house and she's like, hey, this is what just happened. The letter got through to him. Um, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna move home and start over. Mike says you're smoking crack. No, you're not. And however, Connie just she wants this part of her life over, and I can't blame her. Right. She just she wants back to normal. So she goes back home. Her son does not go with her this time. He stays with his dad. I, I guarantee the dad was like, you can do it, but <laughs> the boys, boys stay, stay with me. me. Yeah. So March 3rd. I don't blame him. Yep. Mar- no, March 3rd, Connie and her friend, Sue Jory and Marilyn all have plans to go out for dinner and drinks that night. I'm guessing to celebrate that, you know. The newly Ding dog, the witch is dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you say Dean dog. I said, I said ding dong, but But I I should have. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I should. I wish I was that clever quickly. So Sue and Connie are together getting ready. Marilyn ends up backing up, backing out. She gives him a call. I'm not going to be able to meet you guys for dinner. So sorry. Um, the girls go out, they have dinner, they do whatever. That night, Dean meets up at a restaurant with an ex-girlfriend of his named Stephanie. Um, and she's got her friend there. Tony and Dean and Stephanie haven't seen each other in a while. And Stephanie's never met Connie. She does not know Connie from Adam. She could be staring at Connie. She would not know Connie. She's this was before his relationship with Connie. Right. But says that the entire time they're having dinner, all Dean does is talk about Connie, their problems. He's agitated. He's sweating. He's swearing. And then he shows her the letter that Connie wrote him. That one I read earlier that she feels like a small animal being chased by wolves. Remember that one? Yeah. And Stephanie's honestly, I guarantee in her head, she's like, what? Because the letter is literally saying, I'm living in fear. Please go away. And he's talking about it like it's this deep, meaningful love letter that Connie wrote to him. That letter I read you. Yeah. He's taking this as she loves me, all this stuff. And so Stephanie, you know, there's no, he is not living in reality. I think Stephanie knows Obviously. This. And she's had to listen to this guy go on and on for like an hour. And she finally just tells Dean, you know what, buddy? You need to leave her alone and move on with your life. She doesn't want you. So Dean, um, they walk out of the restaurant and there's a payphone. And so he drags Stephanie over to this payphone. 
And he says, um, I'm a, I'm gonna, he hands her the phone and he said, I'm gonna dial this number. If a boy answers, I want you to tell the boy, Dean loves you. And if a woman answers, I want you to ask, ask for her son. So he literally what? calls Connie's number, making Stephanie hold the phone. She knows this guy's like cuckoo banana pants. Yeah. Thankfully, no one answered. And Stephanie was relieved, but said it was like a flip switch. Because as soon as no one answered and the voicemail kicks on, Dean freaks out. And he starts literally going off. He's, that fucking bitch Connie won't answer my fucking phone call. Like, oh, Stephanie says, losing it. Okay. And so Stephanie's like, you know what? Hey, I think you've had, I, I think you're, it's in the nighttime. You're tired. You're having a tantrum. Let me walk you to your car. Yeah. So she walks into his car. It's about 10, 15, 10, 30. As he's, he's getting something out of his trunk and she sees a gun in there. And she's like, oh, <laughs> I'm done with you. He gets in his car, 10, 15, 10, 30, drives off, super angry, Stephanie says. Um, unfortunately, where they're meeting is about four miles away from Connie's condo. Oh my God. Around 10, 30 or 11 o'clock, Connie's neighbors will later report they heard multiple gunshots and thumping. And then a large man walked out of Connie's apartment and got in her vehicle and drove away. On March 4th, the next morning, Mike hears from his friend that Connie missed an appointment um, and like, hey, is, is she sick? What's going on? They know Connie's living with him. And he knows that's not normal. Moreover, she was supposed to come and like have lunch with her son, which she would never have missed. Right. So he calls her condo. Maybe she had a bender with the girls slept in. No one answers. And he's like, nah, I'm, I've got to go check. So Mike gets in his man. car. And he knows yeah. what's going on. He's not stupid. No, no. So he drives over there and unfortunately finds Connie's dead body shoved into a, the second floor linen closet with a pillowcase over her head. And her friend Sue is dead face down in Connie's bedroom. There's blood everywhere. There's drag marks from her from Connie's son's room into Connie's room where Sue's body's left. Connie's been shot twice, once in the left side of the chest and exited through her back. It went through her lung. The second shot was to the right side, which traveled and um, got her aorta. <coughs> and she that's how she died. Sue was shot at close range. Medical reports will say up to two inches away, close range. Mm -hmm. The bullet went into her thumb because she blocked. So it got into her thumb, um, then entered her jaw, <coughs> tore through her carotid artery and exited through her neck. The condo showed no signs of forced entry. The only thing, as the police are there looking through, the only thing that could possibly have been forced entry, maybe, is there is this skylight way up in the bathroom ceiling that's slightly askew, but it's super high. It's not possible that anyone could have gotten there, so the cops don't even fingerprint it, photograph it, nothing. Just move on with their life. Oh Both God. women's purses, wallets, everything is there. Nothing's gone. No jewelry missing, nothing. The only thing that is missing are their car keys and their cars. Both the ladies' cars have been moved about two blocks away. They're parked, like, facing opposite sides, two blocks away, same street. On the kitchen counter, there's wine glasses. Connie's fingerprints are on one of them. The other was too smudged to tell. Um, when they go through the apartment, every single fingerprint they find is either Dean's or Connie's. There are three fingerprints they can't identify. Um, and Dean's fingerprints are on the linen closet where Connie's body was left. So who do the cops want to talk to? I'm going to go with not Dean nope. because 
He's gotten away with everything. No, they do want to talk to Dean. They no, put out an alert fine. for him, but Dean's gone. He's already left LA, and by me by saying he left LA, like he left and didn't look back. He left with what was on his body. His car is still there, his motorcycle, all his clothes, everything. When they get to his apartment, they find three different handguns, loads of ammunition, a shotgun, a box for the a 38 caliber gun. The gun's not there. A 38 caliber bullets are what killed Connie and Sue. And there are four sets of handcuffs. Um, shortly after this, a uh, warrant for Dean's arrest is issued. And he's in the wind. Nobody can find him. De- um, everybody in the neighborhood was afraid. Everybody knew, like in Connie's neighborhood, everybody said, I knew something was going to happen. It wasn't right. Everybody was scared of this guy. I mean, he was a, Dean was a big guy. Yeah. Mid-90, uh, mid-1980s, the FBI place an ad in every muscle magazine for Dean. They stake out gyms in different cities thinking that he might try to go visit. Anything. They're trying anything to land this guy. He's added to, he's, Dean has put on LAPD's 10 most wanted list. Like They pulled no stops for finding him in the mid 80s because this all happened in 1983. 1988, Dean's father dies in New York. So FBI agents go and stake out the entire funeral never shows never shows 1989 dean is featured on america's most wanted like they're not like yeah uh i used to watch that show they're not letting up and that's a big deal like back in the day that's a big deal for america's most wanted the fbi do not give up this is not a case that goes cold and they just give up they try everything like the, the staking out the gyms the muscle magazines they start trying to hunt down anybody that knows Dean, anybody that could have been his friends, questioning them. And they find this guy named Samuel Sabatino, okay. Sammy. Um, he's a friend of Dean's. They burglared together back in the day. Okay. And Sammy says that, you know, before Connie died, Dean said that he felt like he wanted to just kill her and take his own life. But a few weeks after Connie died, um, Dean called Sammy or they met up and he admitted to him that he broke into Connie's apartment through the skylight to wait for her to when she got home. When she did, Sue was with her. Um, Connie went upstairs first and her and Dean get into this big, huge fight. Sue was not going to let her girl go up there by herself. So when she heard Dean's voice and heard them yelling, Sue charged upstairs. And so he shot and killed both women. He told Sammy that he hid the gun on the roof of his apartment just under some, like, building materials and debris because he knew the cops were too lazy to even do a good thorough search. And he was right because they didn't find the gun. Really? Yeah, because he killed her in 1983. This is 1998 that Sammy's telling him all this happened. I mean, they've had all the evidence. Yeah. Late 1990, or, yeah, 1990, Dean is featured on America's Most Wanted again. Second episode about him. But this time they show a sketch of his current supposed girlfriend and they believe that Dean will be with this girl. I don't know how they've, they've done, they've literally talked to anyone that's ever had any contact with this guy. But it randomly get a sketch of a girl that like Sammy, because Sammy knew, okay. do you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, like they're, yeah. they're hunting down current friends. Okay. So they find out about this girlfriend. They get a sketch artist. They put a sketch up and it's Dean. So this girl is again. Drop dead gorgeous, blonde, beautiful. She stuck out. She was memorable. Like when people saw her, guys, you know, yeah. turned to look. 
So when they this episode aired in 1990, tips start rolling in immediately. And one tip came in giving an address in Houston, Texas, saying this is where he's at. They're there. Go there. You'll find him. Okay. So January 4th, 1991, the FBI um, surround this really upscale, like uber rich condo complex in Houston. And they put eyes on a guy walking out that it looks like Dean. And he goes out of the complex, (coughs) excuse me, gets into a Cadillac and drives off. So some of the FBI agents tell him some wait to the condo for him to return. Right. They don't want to start a chase. They don't want, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't want to give away our position. We know where he is. We want to make sure it's the guy. Yeah. So Dean later, or supposed Dean later, um, this guy, they think is Dean at least, pulls into a parking garage and parks. As he puts it in park, a car comes racing behind and boxes him in. FBI agents surround the car, yelling, get out, your hands up. There's 10 FBI agents surrounding, and they're going to get him out. They're taking him down. Okay. When they do a search of this condo, again, it's a very expensive condo, they find cash, jewels, what appears to be burglar equipment, and over $1 million in jewelry alone. At this point, um, the FBI so have... She really, really seems very upstanding as a citizen as well, mm-hmm. then. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, the no, this is where Dean, the apartment Dean came out of the condo. Right. But the, I thought you said you were, he was living with the chick. They never mention her in, the, in all these reports I've read. Okay. All right. But, all right. Fair enough. Um, at this point, the FBI has been stalking this guy for, what, eight, nine years? Mm-hmm. So, they know that he... Dean is a suspect in over a hundred burglaries in Miami, Chicago, New York, LA. Holy crap. So, um, he's a professional psychopath. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they've got this guy and they know several things. They know that Dean has under, undergone plastic surgery since the murder. Supposedly really? he changed his nose. He had a mole removed like that. They have, wow, the FBI okay. have stalked his life. They know that he had multiple documents on how to change your identity. And at the month that he murdered Connie, he had applied for a passport in a different name than his own. So, well, I mean, the guy's been going by different names his entire right? life. Right? Like, that was my by, thought. What did he do? Like, his original his name? name? Yeah. Yeah. So the FBI are leading this guy they think is Dean away. And this guy is insistent, like venomously insistent. You've got the wrong guy. My name is not Dean. I don't know a Dean. I've never known a Dean. My name is Bill Thala. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, there are picks and jewels and gold and weights and scales. All you have to do is look into me. I'm a jewel dealer. I deal in gold and jewels like I'm a broker. Get my wallet. So they pull out his wallet, and what do you know? It is William Fela. This is not Dean. Okay. So they're trying to decide what to do, and they, they're they you know still going through his stuff, and they open his briefcase, and there is a VHS tape in there that he had of his own episode of America's Most Wanted, where he was the star. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He literally this carried is, around. It sounds like an episode of the world's like dumbest career. Yeah, scene. so they got him. It's it's not William Fela. It's Dean. What a crap bag. So FBI agent Ralph DeFonzo, um, he spent most of like the past eight years. This guy did most of the tracking of Dean. Okay. And when he finds out they got him, he's got to see him. Yeah. So he goes to jail. 
looks at Dean and says, I'm the guy that's been tracking you these past eight years. And Dean looks at him and says, so what? So they've got him. He's in jail. Um, they trial comes. The prosecution, obviously, stalker, jilted lover, whole nine yards, right? Um, so prosecution's pretty straightforward. Jilted lover, stalking, everything. The defense We're stalking a thing that at this point. I mean, they could they it's not against the law, but they're setting up like jilted lover, crazy, like okay. the defense has a whole different argument. And again, there's no stalking. It's it's not prosecutable. They just ignore that. Well, I'm sure she was a psychopath, right? Well, not really, but they, the defense, and the lawyer he got, I forget the guy's name, but he's good. Like, he was on O.J. Simpson's team good. Really? So they spin this story that it's not stalking. It's not a jilted lover. This is a man trying to save a relationship with the love of his life. Dean deeply loved Connie, would never have done anything to make her feel fear. Furthermore, Connie never really broke up with him. If they broke up, why were they always seen out to eat eating together? Why were they, why were they doing all these things together in this very short amount of time if they're not still on again, off again? So Because he was a shit show. Yeah. So multiple people are brought in to testify, um, both for and against Dean. Sam, Sammy, his buddy Sammy's brought in to test. In this case, like, I could do a whole episode just on this court case. It is bananas. Sammy, his little partner that ratted him out earlier, comes up and testifies everything. Well, what do you know? When defense gets up there, didn't you go to jail because Dean turned you in? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that did happen a couple years ago. That's why y'all had a falling out. Is this not really just to try to get back at him? Nice. So um, Dean's own stepmother testifies and says that Dean admitted to her deceased husband that he killed Connie. She called the FBI herself on two different occasions, gives all these details, this moving testimony that hurts her stepson. He lost his way. He's in love with her. Very believable, right? Okay. But she called the FBI two different times to what like, she said. sell him out. Yeah. While he was running and hiding. Good God. But then she ends up not being that credible because defense says, you know, she's really just trying to write a book about her stepson. Like she's trying to make some money. That's the only reason she's making this up. And comes to find out that's 100% true. She never called the FBI. Lied about it all. Um, Dean takes. So here's this poor woman surrounded by a bunch of just sycophants. Who is not going to get justice for the shiznit that she went through. She's dead. Because, I know, but she's oh, she's yes. not going to get justice for being dead right now because... No. Two women. He killed two women. So... And, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, the, I'm just, the case, like, ugh. if you read... I read the entire court case. Like, the amount of people that came up and ended up, like, they had to throw out the testimonies or they were... The defense was able to rip him to shreds. He had a very good legal team. Um, Dean takes the stand in his own defense and I mean, lays it on. Remember, he's a smooth talker. He's a fast talker. I'm not going to give his testimony one minute of airtime and I'll explain why later, but I'm not going to, not going to give you anything that he said. Okay. Um, prosecution calls multiple people. Marilyn Young comes and testifies. She was the best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, her ex-husband testifies the kidnapping, him breaking into her house, all this stuff. 
the defense literally, I mean, they were so good because they like in their closing argument, like are even, I don't remember if it was closing argument or if it was rebuttal to Maryland. And they were like, we're not saying Maryland's lying intentionally, but if you had a best friend that was dead now, would you not maybe look back and see things that you thought maybe you should have noticed? Wow. And that aren't really that big of a deal, but you're just trying to solve two of your best friend's murders. So, um, all of it. I mean, it is, it is days worth. Finally, um, jury comes back and he's guilty. Thank you. Not a question. During the, um, during the sentencing hearing, Mm -hmm. Sue Jory's daughter, Christina, which she goes by Christy, gets up and testifies. Oh my God, that's the only name. That's like kind of sad. I know, right? Um, like it actually mimics her name. That's crazy. Yep. She gets up for the um, sentencing hearing and she tells the court she was only 13 years old when her mother died. Remember, it's been nine years. Yeah. She's only 13 years old when her mother's died, but that night he he did not, Dean did not just take her mother. He took so much more. He took her mother, but he also, <coughs> sorry, he also took her Aunt Connie, her godmother, who was a second mother to her. Throughout her entire life, Aunt Connie was there. She always said if something happened to her mother, she wanted to go live with her Aunt Connie and her son, who was a very close friend. And so the night that he took her mother, he also took her other mother, and right. who was going to be her security blanket. She um, testifies that she wrote him a letter while he was in jail and said she wanted to know what gave him the right to fuck everyone else's lives up. Direct quote. Okay. Um, she says that Connie and her son were family to her, and that night that was stolen from her as well. Not only that, after her mom and Connie's death, she went through six years of very intensive therapy. Because her godmother was gone, she was forced to live with her father, and she had a very difficult very difficult relationship with her stepmom. And so she spent the four years following her mother's death locked in a room by herself. Connie's son gets up and testifies in the, in this part. And um, he testifies on the events of his mother's death and talks about how it destroyed his life. At 15 years old, he lost his mom and his father was so devastated. His, like his father lost it. Mike could not, couldn't even take care of his son anymore. His son had to start taking care of him at 15 um, until the boy became suicidal. He just, his life completely fell apart. He said that um, he, um, he felt partly responsible for his mom's death. He felt like if he told his mom about the night with the handcuffs, maybe she'd have taken everything more seriously and she'd be alive. There's every single person that's mm-hmm. ever lost anybody from like, <clears throat> And this, I mean, he's in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Yeah. There's always a guilt. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, all these people. Like your friend that passed away of a drug overdose. You're like, I could have, I could have intervened. Yeah. Or your grandmother. Yeah. Who passes away of old age because of that. I could have visited her more. Yeah. Like there's always guilt. Yeah. So he says that, um, he, he felt, he felt very guilty. He started using marijuana very early and that led very quickly to heroin. Um, which he used every day. And he said he took the drugs to cope with the death, but he also used the death as a reason to take the drugs. Yeah. Um, he was in constant therapy for most of his adult life. I had a cousin that was, Mm -hmm. he passed Mm -hmm. from a heroin overdose, actually. Mm -hmm. But I can remember one day 
he called a, a up the house, and this was still when landlines were a thing. Yeah, and he was in the rehab, so it was like one of those eight hundred numbers. Do you accept this call? Yeah, Tony Pizzullo, blah blah blah. And I accepted it. I was like sixteen, maybe at the yeah. time. And his his main relationship actually was with your husband. Yeah, and uh, Frankie wasn't there at the time, and um, <clears throat> he actually wanted to talk, like just. He just wanted to talk. Yeah. Okay. And he was like, Lisa, you have to call me specifically. And I was like, yeah, man, like what? And I was young. Yeah. And he's like, just don't, don't do what I've done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, man, no, don't. I, I got you. And he's like, no, you don't. You don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't, I clearly not. And he was like, I started out having, you know, the weed, the drugs, whatever, yeah. mushrooms, alcohol. He was like, everything was all fun and games until I realized that I had to take those things. Like, everything felt great mm-hmm. until I had to take those things to feel normal. He was like, because when I came down, I came down further and further. Mm-hmm. And I would just, I would shoot up just to feel. And I literally, honest to God, 100%. Never really smoked weed. Mm-mm. Never tried shrooms. Never no, none of the classic, yeah, nineties kids candy. Right? Yeah, I can't even imagine what the kid went through if he was doing drugs over that that kind of pain. Well, and that's what he said. He's he said away, he said it was like, the f- you're just gonna come down harder. Oh yeah, he he talked harder. once and said the very first time he took drugs, he was immediately addicted because he realized it made the pain go away. Yep. He said he and went then on. It's the amount you have to oh, do. Oh yeah, he did heroin every day for years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, years. Like you take your first shot, and then you're, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You start doing your norm, and then you're addicted. But then the norm doesn't really do anything for you anymore, so you Mm-mm. up the game. Oh yeah, you're always chasing that first high. Exactly. That's why you go from pot to heroin. Yeah. To crack to whatever. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't jump from pot to <laughs> no, but you know. But I'm just saying, like you, you, you continue. You want that. Yeah. You want that high peace. Yeah. Um, that sucks. Oh, the fuck. That yeah. Sucks. So her son said that he has always been afraid of Dean. He had nightmares about him, dreaming that he'd come back in and kill himself or his father. Um, he was in constant therapy for most of his adult life. He was hospitalized seven times in different rehabs due to his drug use. Um, finally, finally, on July 16th, 2012, John Alexander Riccardi, a.k.a. Dean, was found guilty of first-degree murder of both Constance, Connie, and Susan by use of a firearm, and the jury found multiple special circumstances stating that he was there to burglar. He did take the car. So he is given the death penalty. Um, What do they call that? Capital. Capital. Thank you. Capital events. So um, just to kind of let you know where everything is. I mean, unfortunately, Dean did not actually get put to death. Um, He was the oldest, the oldest um, person in death row and he was one of three that were were um thrown out yeah um yeah no he's he's still in prison but he he's no longer on death row he'll just die there during a 2004 episode of america's most wanted um connie's son was watching it and recalled 
like it just like kind of hit him that he was supposed to visit and stay with his mother the night of her murder. And at the last minute decided he just would rather be with his dad. And he said, I really do believe that some sort of divine intervention I can't explain saved me. Um, Riccardi is the oldest inmate on death row in California. His is the third death sentence case from Los Angeles County that the Supreme Court has thrown out this year. Um, Connie's son in 2013 decided to do like a documentary and it's called a son's morning. You can actually stream it. And it's where he goes and he relives all this stuff because it's a death penalty. There were multiple appeals, obviously. Right. Absolutely. And at one point he says he's sitting there testifying and he said that he had to say, will you please cover it the fuck up? Because beside him, on a huge cardboard paper is pictures of his mom's death splayed out. And at 23 years old, he's got to look at that. But I do want to let you know what happened to her son. Let me pull the website back up here. It's incredible to me that like, not only do they have to live like the victims, Mm -hmm. families have to live through the fact that their family members dead. Mm -hmm. But then actually like have to go sit in a courtroom and look at it. Oh yeah. Okay. Not look at it just the one time where they're found guilty mm-hmm. no, over, no. And over, over and over and over. That's just so. So his mother was killed in 1983. Yep. Three years later, 1986, um, her son actually, while he was still addicted to drugs, okay. um, joined a band called Jane's Addiction. Oh my God. No way. And he was later the guitarist in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. No way. And he uh, was on Inkmaster. That it is it David is Navarro. It is David it. Michael Navarro. He also goes by Dave. So that's his mom. That's it's when he. Holy shit! Yep. I had no idea. Yeah, and but, I love the Chili Peppers. Yeah, I mean, I've never dug into like their mm-hmm. their history. But yeah, damn. I told I told Brian when you went inside to go to the bathroom. You told her already. Yeah, you were taking too long. Did you not just hear yelp? But. It's I, an ink I master. Had no friggin' idea. An ink master. I was telling Brian, there's a huge tattoo on, like, I think it's his left side of a woman. It's his mother. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what tattoo. Um, he did. He did a documentary because he has the money to do it. Yeah. In 2013, called a son's morning, where he went through everything. He went through the places he went because he um, wow. he said I happen to have one of these conditions where if I'm afraid of something, I have to do it. So he decided to go to prison and sit down in front of Dean, this guy that was like a dad to him that he loved that killed his mother. And he, um, he dressed in his black rockers. That's why she, that's why Dean's stepmom wanted to write a book because at this point he's famous. When they finally catch him, he's in the chili peppers. He's everybody knows who Dave Navarro is. So yeah. I'm like, I'm shocked. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I, okay, I'm not like a diehard. Like, right no, but yeah. I love Dave Navarro. I do. Mm-hmm. I, well, I like some of their music and stuff, but I had mm-hmm. no fracking idea. Yeah. So. I knew he had a cray-cray, like, childhood, mm-hmm. and I heard that his mother was murdered. That This is his I mom. I did not know that he was that the, was the story. He was the 15-year-old locked in a bathroom in handcuffs that sat there and listened. This is that, that hey, her son the whole I time? legitimately. That's him. Literally. Had mm-hmm. no idea. Oh, I've had to catch myself because I referred to him as David the whole time. 
But when you were like Navarro, I was like, ah, oh, crap. So I called him by his middle name, Michael. Yep. So I well to try to, but um, and now because I sat there at the very beginning, I'm like Ink Master mm-hmm. in a band. Yeah, yeah, dude, way to play yeah. it kosher. Man. Yeah. So he um in this in his thing, he went and sat across from Dean and talked to him, like he wanted to sit down and talk to him. Um, traveled in a in a limo, and. He said, like, they, New York Times obviously did an article with Dave, and he was 15 at the time of the murder, shuffling between his parents. Um, on March 3rd, Mr. Ricardo did kill his mom, and um, he said that he wanted to go sit down in front of this man in this his, uh, a son's morning, in this documentary he did. And he said that, you know, when he got there, I'm trying to see his exact quote you here. You tell me where it's streaming. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm really interested. It says one of the, here's, you know, because they film, it's him and his band going from place to place in right. this documentary. It says one of the ways which trauma survivors get past it is to walk through the ugliness. I felt super safe about everything because it was a controlled environment. Um, yeah, talk about walking through the fire, mm-hmm. man. Oh my gosh. He said that his at our attitude was always if you want to know stuff about him, about um, Google Dean. But when he went to go talk to him because he was still in prison, he was not allowed to bring in video cameras. And he said, um, he, I can't find the exact quote of what he said. So I was trying to, this is why I didn't talk about his thing. He said, I don't want to turn this guy into an interesting character. Yeah. So he's glad he couldn't videotape the interview with him sitting down. He said, I like a lot of crime television, 48 hours, Dateline, investigated, discovery. That's he's still watching America's Most Wanted. That's how he got like this epiphany. But Um, I like to say that we are both kind of the same way. mm -hmm. Like we'll tell these stories. We don't we don't want to mention the guy 100% no. of the time. We want to know about mm-hmm. the victims. And so and he, the lives that got sucked into. Yeah. So he said he didn't want him to be like this interesting carer. He said, I, you know, very rarely in those stories are they focused on the family and the horror and the emotional impact. They're always focused on the killer. And I just didn't want to tell that. So he said that he is, that's why he's glad that they didn't, he, they didn't film when he sat down with Dean. Um, that's why I would not go into what Dean said. There are several antics that Dean did during court. I'm not going to give it airtime because that's what Dave wants. And he lived through this. And I'm going to respect Absolutely. his wishes. Um, 100%. He said that the meeting with Dean did not play out as anticipated. Direct quote. I wanted it to make me feel scorn and anger and rage. And it just didn't. There was no confrontation, no screaming, just an awkward exchange. But there was an emotional intensity to it. A lot of things came flooding back. And I w- almost was watching myself as an outside observer. It took so it took a minute to get my body and mind and emotional and spiritual stability all back in sync. Unfor- ultimately, Mr. Navarro came to a powerful realization during this meeting. He's just some old dude dying in jail. Like, he doesn't have this power that I've given him anymore. Like, right. he's just this old dude in de- jail. So... Um, he said he saw, like, he was talking about, because he, he went back and talked in the interview about, like, high school and everything, living through this time. Right. Um, and he said, I saw more sadness than I knew was out there. Um, I'm starting to find the real Dave. Um, he said he, through all this, after my mom was killed, I always focused on her death, on the murder, on the tragedy, on the loss and on the trauma. 
Not of the life. He said, I'm way more in touch with who she was as a person now than I was before we made the film. I had to dig into this trauma to get to see the beauty of my relationship with her. And the next time I step on stage in front of a festival audience, maybe it's a little less scary because I've already faced my mother's killer and it makes things seem right-sized. But he goes on because he was suicidal through all this. And he goes on to use his platform about reach out for help. Um, I'm freezing. It's really cold here, guys. But in the garage. I know. Um, I do also, there's one other point I wanted to make because I do feel like it's important and because Dave said it. So they, Dave's documentary about his mom's death, which I will link, is called Morning Sun. But it's spelled like morning, like you're in morning, right? right? Not morning, like daytime. Daytime, yeah. There's also another documentary about his mother's death. Um, it came out, I don't know, I don't know the name of it, but December 10th, 2018, David Navarro gave an interview um, and spoke out against it. Um, it was a 2015 documentary. No, 2015 is when Morning Sun came out. 2018, um, a director, Geraldo Rivera, ran an Ooh. episode for his murder in the family about Wait, this I'll- incident. Gerard? Is that? I think that's the guy with the big bushy mustache. Yeah, the guy with the huge stash that's kind of like retarded. So he wanted to, he, in this Murder in the Family series he had, he wanted to do this and he reached out to Dave and asked him to be in it. Dave declined. And Dave's direct quote is, I find it really disappointing that Geraldo Rivera's new show would ask me to participate in an episode about the tragedies in my life. And when I said no, they decided to run it anyway with inaccurate facts and total abandoning and totally abandoned the triggering effect yeah, a program exactly. of this neighbor would have on the families. That's exactly who it was. That's what he put. That's what Dave said in a tweet. Dang, I hate him a little bit more. So then um, in the same article where he's talking about this, this episode and stuff, he said, I understand that true crime is a big moneymaker. In fact, I'm a fan of programs such as this. But when they chase down the dollar, instead of having feelings for the loved ones and minds, that's when I have to say something. Absolutely. But this is what made me respect him a lot more. His other quote is, I'm personally okay as I've told my story myself in my documentary, Morning Sun. But this is an opportunity to stand up for other families that don't get that choice, whether or not they have their stories told by millions without their consent. As for the article that is posted, I did not find that body. His mother's body, because Geraldo said that Dave's one that found it, all this stuff. I did not turn to drugs after this event specifically. To say so would do a disservice to those that have loved, lost, lost loved ones and not turn to self-medicating. I was he well was into still, my drug abuse when everything say, took place. He was, place. what, 15, 16 when mm-hmm. she actually passed? 15. So um, Navarro, Geraldo, whatever, Geraldo, never said anything else. Um, Navarro shared a message with fans about his past battles with depression and suicidal thoughts. Same article. I'll post all this urging others to speak out if they're struggling. He said, I can't speak to anyone else's thoughts or actions, but I can speak from my own experience. This is all, this is his Instagram post. David's I've been there. I've written the note. I've had the plan, the stockpile of meds, how to disperse my property among my family. I was ready to go. Luckily, as a last-ditch effort, I reached out. I spoke to my closest friends and loved ones. I sought therapy, 
And at the time, psychiatrics, alternative medicines, even hospitalization, whatever it took, what I learned is that through the process, circumstances and feelings shift. So as the tide comes in and as the tide comes in and rolls out, the universe makes many shapes and constantly evolves. We are all made of the same stuff. We are all constantly changing and evolving and flowing. Sometimes scary, sometimes beautiful, sometimes lonely, sometimes supportive. Hang in there and allow the process and the shapes to change. I can tell you 100% that they will. Please reach out if you find yourself in darkness. There is no darkness without light. Try to be willing to let that find you. So yeah, that is Dave's story. Damn, they... Isn't it good? Yeah, you got me. Like, I knew that... I didn't know his mom died. I changed I I changed this two days ago when I heard it. I knew she was murdered, but I never, like... I never looked into it. Like, uh-uh. it was just kind of, I don't know, just. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that, that is his story. And I like that he stood firm against. And like, that's his mom. Media. Isn't she beautiful? She is. She's gorgeous. Yeah, she is. And that's his little Dave and his mom. But yeah, that is Dave's life. That is like, and I, that's so why I, I went, I, before I, like, I, you know, I do all the research and the court case gave all these things that Dean did, all these outlandish things. And I had them all in there. And then I read his morning sun where he does yeah. a big thing and him talk. And I was like, if but he, right. if he doesn't want to give him, if he doesn't want him to be an interesting character, I'm taking all this out because that's. But you know what though? Not what he wants shared. So I'm not going to go against I, his I wishes. I agree 100%. Yeah. But anyone that finds the murderer, the interesting character, like mm-hmm. You need to check yourself. Well, it's not really like, interesting. I think interesting might well, be a wrong word, but you know, the people you sit there and talk about and you analyze, well, why would he, why well, would he, you know, we you all know do what, it. Though, here's the crap part. Every podcast that we've done, right? When I sit here and I'm like, you know, I dug into this person's life, but I really couldn't find much. Yeah. Right. Like you, you could research any victim of Dahmer or yeah. Bundy or freaking, you know, anybody, even when we did like at the very, very beginning. Yeah. When I was doing people that I've never even heard of, yeah, right? you can find a hundred and ten things mm-hmm. about the murderer and nothing, nothing about, about the family. But you know, if they don't want to be, and that's I thought that was really when Geraldo Rivera went out and did this, and Dave spoke out and said, "Hey, I'm fine. I've I've dealt with my trauma. I've lived it. I've yeah, faced it. Yeah, I don't him. want to keep reliving it. No, what he said is, I'm fine, but I'm speaking out for families who aren't fine, and you're violating." them by telling a story they don't want shared because i've listened to several podcasts and they'll drop either the murderer's kids names yeah. those kids didn't do anything why no. are, the, are the people who were murdered their kids na- like, like there's you. no reason to say the kids there's no reason to do all that like yeah, yeah. Like your lineage doesn't make you who you are no but I thought it was really, and that's what he said. He said, I'm not speaking out because I was traumatized, but there are very triggering things that if I hadn't already dealt with this, that would have triggered me. Yeah. And I'm speaking out for the families that are constantly triggered. And, yeah. you know, he's a true crime fan. That's what he said. I love true crime, but. I think that's probably like one of the main reasons is that I like doing this with you. Yeah. Is I got listened to a lot of true crime podcasts and stuff and. They get they get down and gory about some some details, yeah. right? And we do too. Yeah, I will. But we don't we don't harp on those things. And they're certain. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's not, and it's the end. It's always like 
we do play toward the victim. Like, give that dad five minutes. Yeah. Give that mom five minutes. And right? we were, you know, reading the victims list. Like, it's about them, but I did, I had Dave, so I was, tell, I was telling Brian, I was like, his name's David, his real name's David Matthew Navarro. So in all my notes, I have David thinking you wouldn't put it together. But as soon as I said Navarro and you were like, oh, I was like, oh, shiz. Yeah, yeah it's the last name that's going to get me every time. But I honestly, yeah, like even if I had put that together at the very beginning, mm-hmm. I had never heard the full story. It's so insane. And that's why, me, like, that's why the case was so like out there. Yeah. Like he was famous when the death sentence came, 1992. Yeah. Like, he was big. Yeah. So that is crazy. Yeah. They kept a lot of it under wraps for that. I think like it wasn't hugely publicized. You can't find a ton of pictures, which I'm fine with if he doesn't want. Um, his mom was beautiful and kudos to him because yeah, he did do drugs. Yeah. You know, yeah, the rocker, you know what, dude, I'm gonna tell he's you what. goth, whatever. Everybody, everybody always has their, uh, their go-to. Yeah. Right. Some people find faith. Some people find drugs. Some people Hide a bit alcohol. of Jerry's, whatever. Right? Yeah. Some people. Some people exercise. Exactly. Some people eat. are healthy. Some people aren't. Right. With their coping mechanism. But the fact that he, because he's been sober, I want to say I had it written down and I left it. I want to say he's been sober for 15 years. He is still a rocker. He is still, you know, the sex symbol. Right. But, and I love him on Ink Masters. Oh, yeah. Like, I love him on Ink Masters. But I have so much more respect for him now. Yeah. Like, I'll probably go watch all Ink Masters again from the beginning now. Yeah. <laughs> but not go watch. Like, well, I mean, he was just real about it. Like, he wasn't, mm-hmm. there was no, he didn't want the fame. He didn't want anything. He was like, this is what happened to me. Yeah. Publicize it, publicize it. Don't, I don't care. Yeah. Like, he did the docu, he did the story. He did Morning Sun mm-hmm. because he said, like he said, I'm I've sure got he that. the realest version. No, he didn't even do it. He, he wanted, he wanted his mom's story out there, but he said he's, like he said, he's one of those people that he has to face his fears. Yeah. And he let Dean live in his head. Yeah. And when he got clean and everything else, like he had to face all of it. He had yeah. to go back to the condo. He had to go back and see all these things. He had to go face the man that did it. And when he was watching the 2004 America's Most Wanted and everything kind of hit him, he said it was divine intervention that saved his life. Because yeah. he should have been the one that died that night with his mom. He should have been there. He decided he's the one. His dad didn't say you have to stay. Yeah. He decided at the last minute, I'm just going to stay at dad's tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. Right. Or he'd be dead. And he lived with all this guilt for all this time. And then it just kind of hit him. Before, everybody puts it on themselves. Yeah. Everybody puts it on themselves. Damn, Faith, you got good good? tonight. This is probably... I think this is my favorite story that you've done. I literally, I know that I my, heard my this story, story Lorraine Bobbitt. Right right that was, yeah, that was funny. But I think this one's my favorite. Like, yeah. I know we've had a lot of like the hero. I love it. Mm-hmm. But this, there's so much Bad. realism in this. It's, yes, it's different because yes, and you're, he, you're hearing it from it, his point of view. Yeah, almost. and go and like just do a search, David Navarro's mom. You will not find a lot about Connie. But you will find a crap ton of articles about him talking about his mom. Yeah. And like now that he's faced the trauma and the fear and the ugliness, like how he's able to view his mom now, he's got all this abstract art of his mother. Like he's had people yeah. paint his mother everywhere. He's got the tattoo. Yeah. Um, like it's really cool. Like it's really good. 
I'm probably going to watch Morning Sun. I didn't have time to see it before. Yeah. I just found out about it today. Probably going to Google it for, like, my weekend. Binge. I legitimately had a whole different story planned out, and I accidentally happened upon this wow. two days ago and was like, nope. But that's, won, this is the picture of the cover for Morning Sun. Wow. And it's his mom's face, trauma, pain, loss, murder. And she'll, she'll pay, yeah, she'll post it. Yeah, documentary. It's a documentary by Todd Newman is the director. And it says sometimes the only way around fear is to walk right through it. Yep. But there's also like cause his bandmates are in it. And there's pictures of them outside the condo that his mo- mother's murdered in that he lived in. And they're like joking and laughing and cutting up. And there was like mixed. Some people were like, you know, he's standing right where his mom died. And he's laughing. And he's like, I used drugs for a long time to deal with pain. I use humor now and I want people to know it's okay to smile even when you're hurting. Yeah. Like, which is so good to me because like you look at the guys in the band and you think like, Oh yeah. Um, they don't laugh. Like, you no. know what I mean? Like, Oh, they were they're They're the cameras in the limo with them driving always with the shirt off. It flee. I think so. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it is. Okay, thank you, Brian. But yeah. but, yeah, like, I mean, to think of them as these, like, warriors to help tomorrow mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah, and he's sitting there testifying <clears throat> in sentencing as a rock star, because he's legitimately a rock star, talking about all this, and that's, I mean, he's that got the black child, nail dude. polish, yeah. he's got, yeah, and he's having to tell them about being handcuffed in a bathroom, about listening to his mom scream, where's David, where's Dave, tell me where Dave is. Yeah. Like lives through it all like it's it's incredible it's well, so played, so by the good way, by using the middleman because if, if you had said dave at any point uh, i, I told brian tomorrow if you caught <laughs> if you were listening like if you when i was talking about if his, i was listening i well, was listening i know but, you were but if you had caught my faux pas after he was murdered after she was murdered i said everybody in the neighborhood said they feared him and but when I started that, I said, Dave, everyone in the neighborhood, they, they. Yeah, I didn't even. Because I was saying, because David is in all my notes. And when you hit Navarro head on, I was like, I'm going to have to call him Michael. And so I started trying to refer him to Michael, but I knew well I was going to slip up. Played. So I just started saying her son, the boy, her son, the boy. Well, because played. I didn't know what else to do because I knew it was going to, it was, I was going to screw myself at some point. Well, Navarro's not, you know. It's not a fa- it's, it's not, not a big a name. normal name. So when you hear Navarro, the first one I'm going to hear is like, "Oh, Dave Navarro." Like, <sighs> yeah, but you it's, know, I, it's I it's, like the the Chili Peppers, and I also like Ink Masters. So. But yeah, he started um, that one band his his first band. Some I forget the name of it now that I've tried um, to remember it. But he started that band three years after his mother was murdered. Wow. Something I don't know. I can't. I can't remember its name now. But uh, I can't remember its name now because it's not one that I knew really well. But I will um, probably look into that. Yeah, I'll probably try to listen to some of them now. But he's been on everything. He Alanis Morissette's. Yep. He was the he was the guitarist on that. Yep. He wrote. He helped write Gone in sixty second. He was a writer in SWAT. He was a writer in Twister. Um, he was a composer for Entourage. He's been in Marilyn, Marilyn Manson stuff. He was an executive director in the art protest. Like he's been in everything. He's been in so many things. Just pull up his, pull up his IMBD. Jane's addiction is his name. 
Sons of Anarchy, he was a part of that. Yep. Law and Order, he's been on that. Yep. Like, this is what he made of himself. Yep. When That's... that was his childhood. And it could have gone so bad. Talk about, like, mm-hmm. like overcoming something and not using it mm-hmm. as much. Because he like, could have. And that, okay. And so he did for a while. Deal. We've had this conversation a hundred times, mm-hmm. right? When you're talking about like your childhood, how you grow up, what you look at, what mm-hmm. you watch. Like, is it, is it something you're born with? Or, yeah. You know, nature versus nurture, right? Mm-hmm. So. Dang, man. Yep. You got me so good. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I know. But, yeah. No, it's really super, super good. That was um, really good. Had you slipped up one time and said David? I have been like, where? I'm <laughs> telling you, I started to say his name because he's on it say. Told, though, I still would have been totally totally fish hooked well i wouldn't because have said, yeah i didn't know the whole story like yeah. i didn't know like i could have known oh oh navarro right. well i didn't like, want the i did yeah but but i, I didn't, didn't know i was gonna thing. tell you at the beginning and most i've listened to a lot of people tell this story at yeah. this point and most of everyone tells you up front it is the david navarro ink master david carmen electra blah 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 yeah but i didn't want it to be about him at the beginning like, I didn't want it to be like, oh, that's David Navarro. That's the Dave. Like, he's the one in hand. Like, I didn't want that to be. I just wanted it to be some kid that you don't know that's living through this. And that's his mom. And then at the end. Like we did the story on. Um, oh, man. You're not going to be able to remember it now? Nope. I hate it when that happens. She was the celebrity. They were trapped on the beach. Uh, Yeah. She was on. Uh, Charisma Carpenter. Charisma. Yes. God, there From was Buffy. no way. No way I was going to remember that. Oh, I know it. I was a huge Buffy fan. I know you were. Yeah. That's why but, I was like, oh. Yeah, but he's, Dave's the one that said everyone in my neighborhood was afraid of him and everybody knew, or he said, and I knew it wasn't going to end. But anyway, that's, that is the story of Connie Navarro and her son, Dave Navarro. And it's amazing. And go watch Morning Sun. I'll post where you can stream it. Absolutely. Guys. Yeah. It's 2023, almost 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're having birthing pains into 2024. Mm-hmm. So if you are a man or a woman. I don't know where she's going with this. I'm just going to throw that out there. you are being stalked. Oh, yes. By somebody. Or you feel like you're being, like, reach out to somebody. Anybody. I, like, yeah. don't keep it to yourself. And I am okay. going to, in, um, in respect for Dave, I am going to put suicide hotline information in the Absolutely. show notes. Because that's big for him. And abuse women, if you don't mind. And that's why I say I'm a few days late. In October is domestic violence abuse awareness. And when Dave gave an interview once, because after he did Morning Sun, he went on Dr. Phil and talked about it. There's a whole episode. And he said it wasn't until he was doing Morning Sun that he realized this is a story of domestic abuse. Yeah. He said he never realized that. Like the stalking is... Stalking is everybody, everybody can look at this story and know stalking. He said he didn't realize, like, it might have not been physical abuse, but his mom was emotionally abused in a relationship. And so because October was, that's why I said I'm posting this tonight, because we're only two days in November. I'm close enough, horseshoes and hand grenades. Right. Um. Anyway, but yeah, I thought it was a really good story. That was I liked amazing. It. Why'd you have to question where I was going with that? Well, I don't. What'd you think it was going to I say? don't know, but you said we were having pains going into 2024. And if you're a man or a woman, I thought you were going to be like, call this number to talk to us. And I was like, what are you doing? Are you 
Didn't know if you were asking for resumes. I didn't know where you. Lisa, Brian, show of hands in this in this room. When Lisa starts broad statements, who worries about what's going to come next? Shush. He's not raising his hand because he. Yeah, he knows. He knows. He wants a happy ending tonight. I don't care about a happy ending. My happy ending is when I leave you. So heck yes. When you're when you're doing open. This is this is coming from the girl that said. You know, Till of the Hunt or whoever used Hummus's lube. I don't know I'm what's going to come out of your mouth sometimes. Of the hunt. I don't remember his name. Until, Vlad the Impaler. Until, that's close. It was Vlad the Impaler. It was. And you, you thought he used Attila Hummus. The hunt. You, you said Do Hummus you for lube. Do you even know who Attila the Hunt is? No. Faith. Obviously not. Oh my God, man. History channel. Okay, main, moral of the story is when you main, open your more, mouth. Main. Main, the main moral nah, of the story is when moral. you start talking, I don't know where you're going, I fear. So when you're saying, attention, ladies and gentlemen, yes, I'm going to say, I don't know where she's going. I'm sorry if it's offensive. Okay. Nine times out of ten, it's offensive. Okay, first of all, I I'm right. You. Yes. Yeah. And I'm more politically correct than you nine times out of ten. Ten times out of ten. Also true. Either way. And when we, but when I, I have to spend hours, when I have to spend, when I have to spend hours editing this podcast, so whose fault is it? You Yours. turn around and you're like, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> Lisa, on the other hand, gets to sound like a whole huge pile of douche. Well, it's because you are a huge pile of douche, dude. Ding, ding, ding. No. Yeah. That's not 100 percent. 100%. 100%, 100%, 100%. No. We argue on a lot of shit. You, my dear, uh-huh. edit, edit your crap I out. left in the racist trash bag comment. <laughs> it wasn't racist. You're literally, but I, like, you thought cum came in different colors. No, I thought you were saying that he was ejaculating on the white trash bag because he found it more appealing than the black trash bag. I don't know, okay? No, 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 no. That is Ugh. not what happened. That's what I thought in my that mind. I'm what, telling you what my mind. black dude. Okay. Here's and the deal, you guys. You said, here. No, it wasn't a black guy. I don't even remember what color it was. You said, I hope it was a white trash bag. And I said, that's racist. I thought you meant, like, I don't know, that he thought that it, he was ejaculating on the trash bag. Okay. He thought it was a trash okay. I don't know. When I called you Besides out the point. on that episode, Besides the I said point. straight up. Besides the point. Do you think they it don't. changes colors? You got really quiet. Because I realized how stupid the whole conversation was, just yeah, like now. That must be it. Okay. Anyways, All if right. you would like to be a talk show on a podcast with me. I'm sorry. You want to be a talk show, guys? Come on to our podcast. I will edit that out. <laughs> it's not weird. I'm see, trying to replace see? you, you whore. Okay. You've we're done. You don't want to listen to this. Nobody so we're does. just going to talk over her. I'm going to plug her mic in a nobody. minute. Nobody. And... Um, I hope you guys have a great night, and <laughs> I hope you unplugged you- <laughs> She unplugged me, and it doesn't matter because you're loud. She doesn't like people, so even if you apply, uh, yeah, you're not getting hired. And I'm I can't pay you anything, so it's not really getting hired as so much as people willing to spend time with me, and me willing to spend time with you. It's a whole big deal, which is not going to happen. Correct. Let so me this it. is moot. But thanks for tuning in. Hope you liked it. Go watch Morning Sun and let's get David Navarro because he is an attractive man. Uh-huh. That's all we got. Yeah. Bye. Have a good night.